On today's show, I have a masterclass on life for you. Yeah, you heard me right. You're not going to believe the content that my guest is bringing. He shares things that I haven't heard people share about before, and he presents it in such a way that makes you laugh. It makes you question the things that you're thinking about in your life, even on a deeper level. And it's really going to help you take steps to be actionable and successful. You'll want to listen to this at least three times and get out your notebook because class is in session. Hey there, you're listening to the Living a Limitless Life podcast. I'm Sharon Hughes, and on this show, we talk about mastering your mindset, growing your faith, and becoming the leader you want to be with tips, strategies, and interviews to help you create a life you love. I'm really glad you're here. So come on, let's go. Joining me on the show today is Brant Pinvindic. He is a documentary film director and TV producer, best known for Why I'm Not on Facebook, Bar Rescue, and Extreme Weight Loss. He's the host of Why I'm Not podcast. And if that isn't enough achievement for you, he's a regular contributor to Forbes. Welcome to the show, Brant. Well, thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on. You are such hey. an overachiever and a super fun guy on top of that. I just love <laughs> seeing what you're doing. I like doing fun stuff. That's my new thing, my yeah. midlife crisis. <laughs> midlife crisis. We can talk about yeah. that off the air. That's a whole exactly. thing. Right? <laughs> hey, I want to talk about your napkin of destiny. I think that that is such an interesting story and is really going to inspire a lot of people. Tell us about that. <laughs> so, you know, I was in Canada at the time. I was living in my parents' basement with my two-year-old son and my wife, and I had come down to the United States trying to, you know, sell a show that I had spent all my money on in Canada, and I learned the hard way that Canadian television doesn't work the way you would just expect <laughs> magically to work. So, and that was very typical of the way I did things at that time. I just leaped, didn't look, and learned the hard way, basically everything, hoping I would find the shortcut. That was sort of my thing at the time was I was always looking for a shortcut, but it always seemed to be a longer way around. And I had, it had gone very well in the United States, and I had got a lot of interest and offers, but to my family and to sort of, in our culture in Canada, the names down here of big agents, big lawyers, TV executives didn't have any residents. Nobody knew who these people were. So I was saying, you know, I met this person. Oh, this person really liked me. Oh, they want to talk to me about doing more stuff. And, you know, I had played that chip a few dozen times with family and friends and particularly my wife. Um, we had moved one time before because I bought a bar on a whim and moved to the middle of Saskatchewan to run a bar with no experience. So we, we had done those <laughs> kind of crazy things a few uh -huh. times. And so my thing was like, I, I need, to, we need to move to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. My wife's like, absolutely not. We've done this before. No way. <laughs> but as we talked it through, it was a little bit more like no way unless, right? Like there was some conditions that were obviously in her mind of like, it's not like she would say I'd never move there, but I'm not moving there on spec or on sort of like a whim. So I remember we were at the restaurant and I asked the waitress to borrow this pen, her pen, and she gave me like a red felt pen. Mm -hmm. And I unfolded this big napkin and I started laying out the what if moments. Mm -hmm. Okay, what has to happen 
for us to move. All right, so if I get an offer from NBC, how much how much cash do we need if they give us a lump sum? Like, what would we need to live for a year in LA? And well, what if I get a job? And like, what if this person invests in my company? And so we like, I laid out all of these what if scenarios mm-hmm. with the idea of like, I just needed to get my wife to say yes to a few of them. And then I would have the sort of ammunition to go into the, you know, the next phase of what I was hoping would be my life, knowing if I hit these, one of these things, I could come back to my wife and be like, come on, I got a job, right? So mm-hmm. that, you know, and I, and I took that, I don't know why I saved it, but I took that napkin home. And, you know, that's 15 years ago when I'm in LA now and things have worked out incredibly well. And so I just happened to always save that napkin from when we moved and it's framed and it sits in my office right now. And it was basically a roadmap of like, this is, this is our moment. This is the moment when everything changes. And that was a the document of it. And I remember specifically, you know, when we were really, my wife was like, wondering when it was going to happen and if it was going to, and I was working on it, that one of the big producer, David Foster, who became friends of mine and helped had called my wife and said, you know, like, this is where your husband belongs. Like, this is his home. You know, you guys need to be here. This, wow. this is going to work out. And that was just such a great moment. And mm-hmm. when I see that napkin, it just reminds me of like, you know, like, it's like everything in life. If you seize the opportunity, you put your hand up when you need to, you know, good things will follow. I love that story. So if, if I was sitting having coffee with you right now and I just said, Brant, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. Like I need to map out my own destiny on a napkin. What would be some of the key questions I would need to ask myself to do that? Well, I think there's a couple of things and, and I do this exercise quite a bit is it's that question of what do you actually want? Like, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you want to achieve? But I would go a little deeper. I would go a little bit like, what do you think that picture looks like when you've made it, right? Because what I find a lot in a lot of my coaching clients and, and a lot of the speaking I do is that people have made it many times in the past and they mm-hmm. never recognized it because oh. they keep moving the goalposts, right? That's On what they feel success is, what they mm-hmm. feel is achievement, what they feel is doing well, they blast right through it without ever like realizing that there it is, you know, and if they had a napkin for every one of those moments, they would be like, oh yeah, I guess I did move here. I did do this on my own, or I did start this, or there's achievements that you do that just years ago, five years ago, two years ago, six months ago, that you would have said to yourself, all right, well, this would be good if I could get this done, or I'd like to have this done by then. And yet for some reason, we don't accept those. We don't celebrate those. We don't look at those as victories, even though when we wrote them down on our napkins, we did think of that as a victory. So success is really hard to feel if you haven't qualified it. If you haven't Mm. put it in context and it's like, well, you're never going to achieve it if you don't define it. So that would be the first thing I would do is like, what do you actually want to have happen in your, in your life, in your business, in your goals? Where do you want to be and what would you like to see happen? And what would that mean to you? And what would it look like? And then when you define that a little bit, you can make some sort of what if things like, okay, well, if this happens, I'll do this. Mm -hmm. If I can do this, I'll move here. I will buy a bigger this. If we can do that, I will hire another employee. If I can do that, you know, like if you have specific actions and goals and causes and effect, you're more likely to follow through with them than Mm -hmm. just saying, I'd like to double my business in 10 years, or I'd like to be independent here. Like that's a great, that's a goal to dream 
But like everybody will tell you without an action plan, there's really nothing there, right? Right. And action plans are like, it's a good buzzword, but that's not easy to do either. Right. It's much easier to give yourself instruction. I almost call it like an instructional plan, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. It's like you give yourself permission to do something because you've achieved this or this has happened. And if you have a few of these on the roadmap, you'll do much better when they start to come and you'll make these little steps. Yeah. Yeah. I really like what you said about seeing that you've seen those successes, those things that people tend to blow by with some of the clients I've worked with. I've told them, you need to start a success journal. You need to write this down. Even if it's something small, like you finally got your website done. You know, just celebrate because there's a lot of people laying on the couch that aren't doing anything at all. And look at your, you're taking steps, like celebrate your steps. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's very difficult for people to do because even by the time they get there, Mm -hmm. they're already looking to the next step and the next step. And they only, and they only feel the end goal is where they're going to feel accomplishment. And then the, but the problem is, is that, and I write a lot about this, is mm-hmm. you haven't trained yourself and you haven't practiced any version of enjoyment or celebration or success or feeling accomplishment along the way. So the idea mm-hmm. that you're going to finally get somewhere and then you're going to be good at that is in, it's insane. Right. You can't be good at anything that you don't practice. And so you don't have to be happy with the current situation you're in but you have to be able to appreciate elements of it. And you have to be able to feel accomplished with various tasks that are outside just your sort of work goals. Mm-hmm. If you can start to practice feeling that way and feeling appreciative and feeling excited and feeling like you've made it and feeling success in other areas of your life and be able to look at other things and build on that, then when you do finally get the big uh, the big payday, the big job, the big relationship, everything, whatever you want, you've actually practiced a little bit of enjoying those moments. Right. And most people assume that they will have enjoyment and quote unquote happiness if they get X. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, it's true. Except for you'll be so, you'll be so poor at it. You'll be so no practice. Your, your happiness will be so limited because you're not, you're an amateur. You may be professional in the business you're at, but you're an amateur of enjoyment and an amateur at joy and happiness. And my goals over the last few years, because I noticed that in my own life, is that I was like, when am I ever going to feel like I've made it? Like, this is like I keep moving the goalposts. Mm -hmm. And so over the last five years, I've started to practice and prepare for bigger success so that. I, I really enjoy what I do now and I enjoy the lifestyle I can afford. And if things change and get better, I will be actually pretty good at using that to increase my level of happiness and joy. Yeah. So that's a huge mindset shift. And, and I yeah. love how you mapped that out is people get really stuck moving that goalpost. I totally agree with you. But what is an actionable step for somebody listening to us? And they're just like, I don't know how to practice just being happy and joyful where I am in the middle of this process. So what's like a real easy, even tactile way to practice being happy in your process? Well, you know, one of the first changes, and it's a very strange story, but I'll, I'll share with you. One of the first changes I made was 
I had noticed I was, I was working with a client and he's a very wealthy client. I went to see a house that he rents in, in Los Angeles and he rents it all year long and he stays there five weekends a year kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, the house would be tens and tens of millions of dollars in the top of Sunset Plaza. It's absolutely spectacular. So after we got to know each other a little bit more, um, I sort of asked him about the house. And, oh my God, it's amazing. What views? It's really cool. And he's like, yeah, let me show you around. So he gave me a tour of the house. And so the way I was looking through this house was in awe and just saying like, oh my God, this is so amazing. And I was picturing if I lived here, oh my God, I have these people on the deck. Oh, I'd sit here and look at this view. I'd open these doors. Like you picture how happy and, and, in, and how much joy you'd take if that was your thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I was watching him as he was giving me a tour and he was relatively blase about the whole thing. Yeah. He's like, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Oh, the pool is nice or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was realizing that like, I had just done that the weekend before I had mm-hmm. friends come and visit me and were staying at the house at my house. And they were like in awe of the house and the yard and my horses. And, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, it's cool or whatever. Right. And I realized like, Oh my God, I was, feeling like oh my god if I could if I had ever had a house like this guy's house I'd be so amazed but then I realized if I did I'd be the same way I am at the house I live in now because if I was to go back 10 years ago and and look at the house I live in now I'd have been like oh my god my whole life would be just amazing if I could just get a house like that right and so I re- that's where I really started to look at like wait a second something's wrong so I made it sort of a conscious decision that in the mornings when I would go out and I would get to a certain part in the yard where you know I was going to see the horses or whatever I would stop and be like 30 seconds. I'm just going to look around and think like, holy crap. Like, I can't believe I own this. This is amazing. Like unbelievable. And so I started doing that a little bit with other things in my life. So same thing with my car. Like you live in LA long enough, you hate your car because you dread (laughs) being in it. It's the worst thing in the world. But I have a, like, I have a car that I always wanted all my life. I wanted this version of this car. And so it's I but I've lost I lost that feeling because once I had it it was my car and so it became this car Mm -hmm. and so I remember my buddy had rented a Lamborghini for his kids graduation as a present and he had picked him up in school and it was a whole thing and they were done and he was going to return it and and I was like oh my god I have a meeting let me take this thing and I'll drop it off for you drive a Lamborghini. That's really cool. Well, uh-huh. it's not a very fun car to drive. Really? It's really surprised. Yeah. It's surprisingly uncomfortable and stark and not all that nice. And I remember whining and bitching and complaining. I called him five, like 10 minutes into it. be like, well, what a piece of junk this is kind of thing. Right. And then, <laughs> and I'm on the, and I'm on the road and I'm thinking to myself, like you spoiled jerk. Like, like, this is just not like, this is not the attitude. I said, you know what? What if I just changed the way I looked at this for five minutes? And I just put a big smile on and I gripped the wheel a little tighter and I looked around. And I was like, oh my God, I'm in Los Angeles. It's 75 degrees. I'm rolling into, you know, it, to a dinner and I'm driving a Lamborghini. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. And just like, and I had learned a lot of those techniques from Tony Robbins. He's a good friend mm-hmm. of mine. And, and a lot of what he does really stuck to me. But just doing that, if I asked you, you or anybody in your audience, could you do that for 30 seconds today? You'd be like, mm-hmm. well, of course. Okay. Right. Could you do it a minute? And then eventually you might do it for two minutes. And it's like, okay, do it over, do it about one thing in your life. Then the next, mm-hmm. next week, do it about two things. 
And then the next week, try it for three things and four things. And so it's like you end up developing a bit of a practice, right? Once you've done mm-hmm. it for one minute, two minutes is not that hard. Two things, four things isn't that hard. So it's like I don't do it all day long, but I'm better at doing it now than I ever was. And so if something changes in my life for the good, I will actually feel, I will feel the appreciation. I will feel the, the success and I'll be able to enjoy it more than I could two years ago. Yeah. I love that. That is perfect. It's 30 seconds, then go a minute, yep. two minutes, five. That's perfect. I love that so much. It's, and by the way, it's like anything else you do. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a better singer, you've got to sing a little bit. If you want to lose some weight, you've got to exercise a bit more. If you want to do anything well, you have to do a little bit of it every day. You have to get better at it. If you want to be, if you want to enjoy and you want to feel like you've succeeded and feel accomplished and feel fulfilled, well, guess what? You've got to practice at it. Yeah. Because there's no magic to it. You will feel like that if something great happens to you. Of course you will. But to have it sustained, you've got to work at being good at that. That's how you became good at your job. That's how you become good at anything, any sport you do. You practice it. So mm-hmm. if there's things you want in your life and you want to be able to, you've got to practice it. And I find that most of the people I work with and most of my clients, they've never spent one minute preparing and practicing to be happy or to enjoy what they have or to feel successful. And I was like, okay, you know how to be successful. You don't know how to feel successful. That's, that's sad. Gonna work on that. Yeah, it is. You know what? That segues perfectly into something that you said. It's crucial to know the difference between self-doubt and situational doubt. Self-doubt is self-defeating. Situational doubt is self-preserving. So we can get caught. Well said. Isn't that good? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Good job. But I think that people can get caught in not celebrating life, not practicing life and practicing happiness and everything that you just said, because they get caught in that weird self-doubt spiral downward of, yeah, it's just like, it's, it's like getting stuck in the muck. Like you've got, you got to clear the muck off of your eyes and, and be really, really clear. I preach a lot about staying in the truth. So if you're staying in the truth, you've got to know the difference between self-doubt and situational doubt. But unpack it. When when you wrote that piece for Forbes, unpack um, the messaging behind that, like how to get clear on that. Yeah, there's two elements to it, right? One of the big things I teach a lot is the idea, sorry, the, the, the understanding that a good idea is not necessarily a good opportunity, right? Mm. Like in our world today, people run towards everything they think they can do well and they, they take, they, they try everything. Right. And they become sort of good at most things. And in today's world, sort of good is not good enough. So a lot of clients I I work with in their company, their companies are spread a little thin in various different products and versions and things. And they have side hustles and side projects. And it's like, Oh my God, like you're just trading more of your time for more work to get the same result as you could if you had focused on your core business. So that's where the original part of it started, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea is that there is, there is things about you that your gut feelings about something when you have what's called situational doubt, when you look at the numbers, when you look at the situation, when you look at the risk and the reward, when you, when you think about the people that you're going to be involved with, like you, you, if you are just being analytical about it 
you can feel those things. Those things guide you on what's a good idea, what's not a good idea, when some, when to take on a partner, when to not take a partner, when to sell, when to buy, like all of those decisions that help run and make a business and make a life more successful are really important. And those to be in tune in your own head is really good. The problem is that self-doubt masks all that. Mm-hmm. And you start thinking, I can't do this. Why would anybody work with me? How, like, what if it doesn't work? Well, like, how am I going to get this off the ground? What if nobody shows up? Like, right. I'm not qualified to do this. I need four more credits. Oh, if I just had some more education. Oh, if I just did this better. Oh, once I get these three things done, like that world of self-doubt is so loud and so noisy mm-hmm. and so difficult to see through that it clouds the situational doubt that could really tell you, this isn't a good idea. You should stop here, slow down, right? Mm-hmm. So you get confused. And sometimes your, your instinct is to push past your self-doubt, right? And that is what most of these sort of self-help and the celebrity sort of speeches are going to say to you, like, don't listen to the naysayers, just push through, right? Mm-hmm. And we've been teaching our kids and our entrepreneurs to do that. Like, don't listen to yourself. Don't just do it anyways. Don't take no for an answer. Like you can do it. It's like, n- no, you might not be able to do it. So you got to know the difference between when you doubt yourself, that is just being self-defeating and when the situation warrants it. And mm-hmm. if you watch the Oscars and you see Lady Gaga get up there and says like, people told me no, and it's been such a struggle and they, they didn't want me to do this. And I never thought I was going to make it, but I finally with hard work made it through. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh my God, you may be one of the most talented performers in the history of mankind. Right. And people told you no, and you struggled. Like, how do you think that's going to go for someone who isn't the greatest singer in the world? Right. Like, it's hard out there, right? And so the last thing I, I want my clients or people to do is to like, put their head down and just bash forward relentlessly. And that's why I, that's why I say like, have you ever met a restaurant owner who ran a restaurant until it basically bankrupted him or mm-hmm. somebody who had a product and they put everything into it and they kept going until they just basically had nothing left and their lives and their relationships are gone. And it's right. like, yeah, they did exactly what people are telling you to do. Push past the no, don't take no for an answer. Don't listen to the doubters. And they did that until there was nothing left of their lives. And that's because the mix of self-doubt and situational doubt is too confusing. And I'm really focused on with the people I work on is to separate that. Right. It's like know which parts are the things about you that you're telling yourself. The, the, the absolute crap that just circles around your brain, like Tony Robbins says, is like that brain has been doing that to people for millions of years, mm-hmm. not your thought. Your thought that you're not enough or that you're not good enough is not real. That's just what your brain is programmed to do. So if you remove all that and, you've, and, you, and you quiet those voices, then you can hear the voices that really matter, which is this isn't a good location or this is going to be too much work or I can make more money doing something else or this person may not be the right partner. Like all of those things that you would like to actually listen to, if you can quiet that self-doubt will be much clearer and easier to deal with. Wow. That is so pivotal right there. Mm-hmm. Now, don't you think that people will stay on that, that train of, like you said, keep going until you've you know, lost the money and lost the relationships? Do you think that they do it out of pride or fear? Like they can't, they don't want their peer group to say, oh, you failed, or they're just embarrassed to stop and say, this, this isn't working, so I'm tapping out. 
Yeah, and there's a lot of that. Um, I think it's I think the the voices um, inside are even louder than that. Like there's a little bit of that pride that makes you, but again, it confuses your system, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It says like these people will think I'm a loser. And it's like, that's because you're saying to yourself, like, I might be a loser. Shit. This is bad. Like if you fail, you're a loser, you know? Right. And it, you're sell, you're telling you the problem when it's like, when really what you should be like, listen, let's look at the numbers. Let's look at this. Like, is there a way out of this? And that's why like when I make TV shows about this kind of with bar rescue and stuff, it's very easy for someone like John Taffer or Marcus Lemonis to come in and be like, look at your business and be like, yeah, this isn't working. Yeah. And they just cut these things because they're not emotionally involved. Right. And they look at it analytically and it's like, that's really how business survives. That's how you make the right decisions. If you can cut out your own issues and look at it for real. Right. And yes, your pride and, and your peer group and worrying that they'll think you bailed is all part of that noise mm-hmm. that doesn't let you make the right decision because you're, you will, you can hear it. People know these things. And I've, I've sat, I've worked with companies all the time and CEOs who I like talk to them in 20 minutes. And it's like, well, you know, that this is not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- why are you doing, you know, it. I can hear it in your voice. You know it, but they think that, that, that it might not be a good idea. Maybe one of those things that's the self doubt that makes them want to just, I heard, no, I'm going to turn that into a yes. And it's like, okay. <laughs> it may not always be a good idea. Did anybody ever tell you that? Like, you know, like I said in the article, just because everyone's telling you no does not mean everyone's wrong. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. This is so good. Okay, yeah. audience, this is this is a masterclass with Brant. Not everybody has access <laughs> to Brant. Like, so listen up. I hope you guys are taking notes. This is yeah, good. exactly. This is good. <laughs> well. I know that you're that you embrace fun because I watch your social media. I, I saw you with that gigantic trailer. So clearly, you have been practicing enjoying your process and and yeah. putting those habits into place. And so you're passionate about that. And you have a really fun group called Reject Average, where you yep. rally the troops to have fun. Tell us about that. So it's. It's yeah, it's a travel, it's a nonprofit travel and adventure club I put together called Reject Average. And basically, what I do is basically three weekends a month or three sort of events a month, I'll just put some really fun, weird activity together. And I invite my club members and, and you know, I just put all the details together. We just go specifically go out to just have fun doing crazy things from scuba diving to snowmobiling to camping. We're doing a movie night, we do all kinds of crazy stuff. And, and the idea is it's just like, get out of your day to day, do things that's just a little bit out of the box and people tend to really respond to that. And I love that. Mm-hmm. And it came from, uh, you know, one of the things I teach in my seminars a lot is this is the idea of matching your intensity. Mm. So what you'll find is with most of your audience and most people is they have one clear focus, sometimes two, but usually one focus where they have real and in- good intensity usually the office, right? Their job, they're very intense. They do it at a very high level. Um, They can really focus on it. Now, some people have some hobby outside or a sport or a, or the music or something that sometimes they do that as well. But most people, they have one center of focus and intensity. And what it does is it sort of like a, like a beam of light. It narrows that beam of life of where their focus and their intensity is. Now, 
what happens is is that that becomes where they get most if not all of the re- of the rewards of that intensity and that focus mm-hmm. so you feel accomplishment you you know conquer goals and challenges you feel accepted you feel valued all of these things come from that kind of intensity right and that kind of focus and so when you feel that accomplishment and fulfillment there it it's sort of like almost like a cycle where you you want to focus more and that's why people who do well in their job or their business tend to do really well in their job and their business because it becomes their source right mm-hmm. so what i learned years ago was that you can actually match that level of intensity in other elements of your life and mimic those feelings so i started doing that as a parent early on with my kids where if i was taking all three of my kids somewhere i would treat it like it was a challenge right from a tv show like to be super dad for the next two and a half hours and i would be very intense about that and very focused and i would feel like Oh my god, I took all three kids to the beach by myself. Oh, that was amazing. <laughs> and then I started doing that as a husband in certain things and I started doing it as a friend of my friends and I started doing it in my recreational life and in elements of what I would have normally considered downtime. Mm-hmm. Is now I realize like you don't want downtime. Downtime is not something to achieve. Mm-hmm. You want to match the intensity that you bring to the office to the intensity you would bring to a vacation or to anywhere else. And when I say it to people, they're like, oh no, on a vacation, I just like to relax. Well, it's like, okay, but you should do that at the highest level. Mm-hmm. See, if you're going to go on a vacation that's going to be just relaxing, you should focus on creating a system and a situation where there's no more relaxation you can squeeze into that vacation. Like you, you could do that, you should do that at the highest level or mm-hmm. attempt to, which is basically matching your intensity across other areas of your life. And if you do that, you'll find those rewards of being feeling fulfilled, feeling accomplished, you know, feeling worthy and valued will start to come in other areas of your life. And so for someone like me now, I feel a lot of the same rewards I do having a great weekend adventure with my friends mm-hmm. as I do selling a new TV show or making extra money at work. Like I'm able to get that across more elements because I I live intensely at what I do. Whatever I do, I try to do it really well. And I don't take breaks from being good at stuff. That's really interesting. And a lot of people, when they, when they catch on to that, they're like, oh my God, I should have been doing this years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I know. And yeah. it, makes it, it, it makes it balance out. So reject average really was that, um, embodied that for me, which is like everything I do, I try, just try to do one layer better. Like if someone came out of the blue and asked me, it's like, this is a competition. Let's see how great you can do at taking your daughter to the daddy to daughter dance. How do you do that the best? If, if you had to write it on a script or on a piece of paper and it was like, in a, what would be the best version of this? And it's like, okay, for the next hour and a half, I can do that. That's cool. Yeah, that's, and that's, cool. that's sort of what Reject Average has, has become. That's amazing. Well, even though you snowmobile and you... You were rappelling over the weekend and you do all these really interesting yeah. I have to congratulate you for taking small children to the beach by yourself because that's no that's no <laughs> small thing. <laughs> no, it's well and it's like it is it's a pain in the ass and it's all of these things if it's just part of your life. But like I said, if there was a contest, yeah, and your husband or somebody else's was like, Okay, you gotta take you gotta take five small kids to the beach for two hours, could you do it if it was a contest? <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Of course you could. And yeah. you'd crush it. Ugh. You'd kill it. And it's like, why would you do that difference? Because it's a contest? Oh, because there's a reward? Like, what's the reward? Somebody's going to tell you you're great. You're going to win a medal. You're going to win $12. Like, it's, you're doing it for a reward. Okay, well, can't you create, you can, you can actually create that feeling and that system on your own very easily. People just don't think of doing that. And like I said, like, there'll be weekends where I will stay home and just sit by my pool. But I do that at a, at a really good level. Like, I really do it. Like I prep for the day, I think, you know what I mean? And it's like, when I do nothing for the day, I really do it well. Brant, do you sleep? (laughs) I sleep really well. Come on. Yeah. I sleep anywhere at any time. Of course I do. You are so high energy. I I just, you are so. Oh, I love it. You are so fun to talk to. And you bring Uh, so many questions to the table that like, you're absolutely right. People don't think about these things. They're, they're no. too busy, like, I don't know, getting lost in their head to even know these questions exist. So this is awesome. This is, this is cool. such great content. I'm really excited. Okay. So the other thing that I really love about you is you have a heart for animal rescue. So share with the audience what you're doing in that area. So yeah, it started, you know, many years ago, we rescued dogs um, with our first rescue was a rescue dog. And then it kind of, you know, th- that's what happens when you start rescuing animals. You just try to get more animals. And then I did a TV show called uh, The Kitten Bowl with Beth Stern, Howard Stern's wife, that was hosting it. And she's a huge animal rescue advocate. And Aww. we just, we became really good friends. And I just saw a lot of like how many like little lives we changed and people. And, and so it just sort of grew from there. And then I rescued a turkey that became very sort of special and, and had a flock like that and so it's it's one of these things that once you open your life to that it's Mm -hmm. really hard to stop Mm -hmm. so and then you know people would see the dogs and I get my friends dog oh I can help rescue so I'd rescue dog for them then I fostered dogs and and then I partnered with the St. Bonnie's um, Animal Sanctuary and so now I help sort of rescue their animals out and so it's just, it's just become part of our life. And I ended up, you know, and when I got this new house, we had left some land and some stables. And so uh, I started rescuing horses and that was cool. Cause you know, you, you think of horse, you don't think of horses as needing rescue as much right. as they do. It's, it's staggering. Mm. And in Mexico and in Canada, horse meat is still legal. So oh. They I didn't know that. buy the horses here in the United States by the hundreds and thousands of them and ship them to Mexico and Canada. And so it's very unpleasant and horses are expensive and mm-hmm. they don't have any value if they don't have bloodlines or they're not for work. So mm-hmm. you get every day people just abandoning their horses because it's like, well, I'm not paying for the horse anymore. It doesn't do any good. Mm-hmm. So there's just thousands and thousands of these horses that you know need to be rescued. So I rescue them and bring them here. I have five of them here right now and I'll have between five and seven at all times. And so it's just become, you know, one of those things where it's like, it's, it's, it's great to do and people seem to really like it and it, and it helps in a lot of areas. So it's the snowball effect happens really quick and we've had as many as 29 animals at the house here. So. Wow. I love that. Well, it's so exciting that you, know, you have the property to do that. And yeah, you have the heart that's been good. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Brant, you are just such a treasure. Thank you so much for your well, time. You. 
Like you just, of course, of course, so many exciting things going on. And, and I know the audience listening to this is just going to be like, wow, they're going to up level their life because of this <laughs> conversation. I'm going, I to. hope so. I'm going to, yeah, so and, thank you. Yeah, and, it's been a good run. I'm having a lot of fun now. And, and now that I do a little bit, I'm, you know, I spent a lot of time doing TV um, and TV production and, and film. And now that I put that sort of as a, sort of I'm only into creative projects now I don't do that as an executive anymore and um, and I have a book coming out in October so I'm doing oh. a lot more of that and a lot more speaking and a lot more work on that so what's the name exciting, of your book it's an exciting tell time. us about that the book is, yeah the book is called the three minute rule mm. and it's how to say less and get more out of every pitch and presentation nice so a lot of what I do around the country is work with CEOs and companies on simplifying their message how to convey everything about their business product or service in three minutes or less um, and conveying that clearly and concisely in today's marketplace is more important than ever. And, and I can show them how to use Hollywood storytelling techniques to simplify that message and lead an audience. And so that's been going really, really well on the corporate side of what I do. So um, I'm, we're, I, you know, I sold the book to Random House, and so we're, they're publishing it on the 29th of October. So oh, exciting. that's so exciting. Okay, I want one of those. Yeah. Definitely. Yes, so if indeed. somebody, <laughs> somebody wants your book, will it be on rejectaverage.com? Um, it will be everywhere books are sold. Um, Amazon for sure and Barnes and Noble and in the mm-hmm. airports and all those places. So you'll be mm-hmm. able to see it. So that's an easy one. And of course it'll be on all my web platforms and stuff that I do. So that's awesome. Very exciting. All right. Well, I will have all of your social media information, contact information linked below in the show notes. There's an open mic cool. for you anytime, Brant. You are just so much well, fun. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for all your right. time. You're kind of busy. <laughs> You're kind of uh, well, you know, <laughs> I do. I, I like to do lots of stuff. So it's good. you do. And, and thank you for your tips on getting your mind right and look and and really being brave enough to say, maybe this isn't working and being able to step away yeah. from something. I love it. Yep. I love it. All right. Indeed. Once again, that's Brant Pinvindic and everything is listed below in the show notes. Make sure that you connect with him and grab his book. The Three Minute Rule coming out this fall. Was that a masterclass or was that a masterclass? You guys, I have two pages of notes. I want to hear what your favorite takeaway was. So drop me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Make sure you share this content out and please consider leaving a review. Everything is linked up for you below in the show notes how to connect with Brant, where to go to pre order his book. And if you'd like to find out more about his Reject Average Club, I'll have that linked below as well. Thank you so much for being here. And as always, my friends, until next time, I wish you every good thing.